for too long, our industry has lived in this cloud of the boomer generation saying like, uh, you know, you're a ditch digger and uh, the only way to, to be happy is to go to college and get an education. I want my employees to retire happy someday, same as I do. Sell the value of your company to your clients. They real quick start to go, oh, they're, they got this taken care of. Mm. I'm going to be in good hands. They're a real company. Holy cow. And I think I can trust these guys. That's high-performance home builder Jake Bruton. Today, Jake and I are going to talk about professionalism and acting like a real company. What does that mean? Benefits. Taking care of employees, treating them like professionals. I'm not going to give it all away right here. We also get into client expectation management. And me, I'm Mike Kenoki. I'm a builder in Fairbanks, Alaska, and I've been operating this here podcast for just over a year, and it's been broadcast in over 70 countries. And I'm happy you're all here listening. If you enjoy the show, please share it directly from your phone to social media. And if you leave us a review, tell us which one of those 70 countries you're reviewing from, and I'll give you a shout out on the pod. Please join Jake and I as we discuss this often ignored and blown off area of the residential construction industry. Here's a couple more bites to whet your appetite for today's episode. Well, we're going to do uh, a 401k or something like that. And the reason we're going to do it is because you get this money tax-free now, which means that you get more money and we're helping you plan for the future. And we're contributing to it as a, as a way of saying thank you. Like there are a lot of people that find a substantial value in that. Uh, so flexible work weeks, a, a big one, I think for us, than, than the paid time off. The paid time off, paid training is a huge one for us too. It's like, why wouldn't I want a company populated by people that could run their own business? Because that would be a huge asset for me. Why is it such a stretch to think that a construction on a company would own the vehicles that their guys use to haul tools every day? But I've never figured out the health insurance one. That's, that's tough. Now I want to build high-performance houses and high-performance houses cost more. How do you get the clients on board with this? If the only thing that they have to share at that point is we need to get this for less than this dollar amount. Chances are they're probably not going to be our client because if they're only concerned with what something costs, that tells me that they're not concerned with the quality. They're not concerned with the process. They're not concerned with anything except for the dollar figure. And we bring a lot more to the table than the dollar figure. I need you to understand every single picture you sent me is a $10 million and up house. Number one, I never talk poorly about another builder those moments when my heart is like completely filled with joy, it's almost always my children. Is this what we're supposed to do when we grow up? And I said, you're supposed to do what makes you happy. I don't care what you do, as long as you're happy. Try to support our fellow carpenters. I'm going to say that. Just support the people that you work with every day. Because I feel like our industry is this big, tough guys industry where people are like, ah, no, I've figured out. He'll get there. And it's like, yeah, if you stop and help, it'll go better. Society valuing what you and I do for a living at a higher rate allows us to pay our employees more. We're not firemen. This is a job, same as your job. You don't get to call your mechanic at home. Why would you think that you can call the builder at home? Like, I get it. You're a doctor and you save babies for a living. Woohoo. I built the house today. And I think that's pretty dang cool.
Welcome back to the Contracting Handbook Podcast. You might know my guest today as a co-host on the Unbuild It Podcast. You might have seen him on the Build Show on YouTube. Met him at a trade show or just for being an industry leader in residential building science. He's owner and operator of Aero Building out of Columbia, Missouri. It's Jake Bruton. Hey, Jake. How's it going? It's going great. It's another beautiful day in paradise. We're going to get to know Jake a little bit more later on the personal level. But first, we want to talk about the notion of professionalism as business owners in relation to our employees. I saw a post Jake made on social media a while back about acting like a real business. Jake, I'm a pretty stereotypical GC when it comes to employees. I think I provide a decent workplace, but I don't provide benefits. So for all intents and purposes, I'm going to play devil's advocate. You know, I make my environment, my work environment okay. I pay going rates or I think better. What am I getting wrong? Well, uh, for starters, Michael, I wouldn't say that you're necessarily getting anything wrong. Uh, when we had the, the conversation about recording the podcast and having this conversation, you know, I worked for uh, a framer before I came back to work for the family business, I worked for a framer for a short period of time. And one of the things that he told me was, uh, yeah, we don't provide benefits or gas or, or phones or anything like that, but I'll pay you $7 more an hour than the competitor will. So you might still be getting it right if you're paying a, an appropriate wage that makes your, your company or your employees able to afford the things that they want and that they see value in. However, I think... Uh, that if you have informed uh, employees, like if you as the business owner take the opportunity to say, well, we're going to do uh, a 401k or something like that. And the reason we're going to do it is because you get this money tax-free now, which means that you get more money and we're helping you plan for the future and we're contributing to it as a, as a way of saying thank you. Like there are a lot of people that find a substantial value in that. Uh, obviously I've had employees that were like, uh, no, I'd rather be paid in gold. Uh, and the, 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 the federal government says, if I request to be paid in gold, you have to do that instead of paying me in cash sort of thing. Like everybody has their own opinion, but I think that, uh, for too long, our industry has lived in this cloud of the boomer generation saying like, uh, you know, you're a ditch digger and uh, the only way to, to be happy is to go to college and get an education. And, uh, I, you know, I blame my parents' generation that uh, instead of taking the, the tack that our generation takes where it's like, uh, or where most of our generation takes, we want something that'll pay the bills that makes us happy. Can we just do that? Whatever that is. Like I've told my kids multiple times, I don't care if they go to college. If they think college is right for them, then let's go to college. If they think it's going to be a waste of time or money and they could be happy elsewhere, then great. I had my kids on the job site this week with me and one of them said, is this what we're supposed to do when we grow up? And I said, you're supposed to do what makes you happy. I don't care what you do as long as you're happy. I like that. And, and it seems like now, now more than ever, we need to heighten the status of the working skilled professionals uh, at a time when the labor pool is dwindling and new blood is hard to find. So this does make a, a big contribution there. What are some of the attributes that we should be offering people coming in um, into our workforce? Sure. What are you, what are you thinking for your people? Well, I think that, uh, I mean, you just hit it on the head, the, the dwindling workforce. 
for starters, wage rates are going to continue to go up. The second you can't find uh, a framework to come to one of your jobs, you're going to go, hey, what do I have to pay to get you to come to my job? And then his rates go up and then his guys make more money. His crew makes more money. So that's that's a number one, like uh, society valuing what you and I do for a living at a higher rate allows us to pay our employees more, which is you know what you what you touched on. Some of the things that uh, some of the things that we do to try to set us apart from our competitors in the market, uh, we offer flexible weeks. So I have a couple employees that are five day a week crew members, and I have a couple employees that are four day a week a week crew members. Uh, I tell myself that I'm a four day a week crew member, which I would say like one week out of the month I'm a four day a week guy, and every other week of the month I'm a six or seven day. A week guy. I'm an I'm a morning person, so I get up in the morning and work before my family gets up, even on the weekends, because I don't like sleeping in. So that's when I say seven days a week, or I harass people about staying up late and work until midnight and being like, "Oh, come on, you run up." I get up super early. I do the same thing I do in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to be apocryphal with the the way that I I share my story. So mm -hmm. flex week's a big deal, and you know, my my senior project manager that I share a desk with could not fathom going back to five day work week because he can't get done what he needs to get done in an eight hour day. And that's the way his brain works. He's like, I'm started on this. I need to get this finished. He's more productive. My, our carpenters, if they were working four days a week are more productive because they're getting out tools and putting up tools and cleaning up one day less a week, but they still have the same number of work hours. Uh, now that is challenging sometimes. Like we offset our, uh, our work weeks so that if my senior project manager is not in the office, I am so that we can answer questions. It also means that we have to be more informed across the company platform as to what's going on with the job so that I can answer questions. We talk Thursday evening before one of us leaves for the weekend. We talk Tuesday morning when the other one gets back, you know, uh, we also offset the weeks. So you get a four day weekend, a two day weekend, and a four day weekend, a two day weekend. So that's pretty awesome too. Uh, but I have a, a carpenter that teaches jujitsu to kids three nights a week. He needs to be done at three 30. So he comes in early, he works five days a week and he gets eight hours. Like it works. It works for him. He gets to have a job that he, that he likes and he gets to have this hobby job in the evenings that he likes. And without that flexible time, that doesn't happen. Uh, paid time off is probably the next one. Uh, we don't do paid vacation time, uh, just because we've never gone that route. I've never had anybody specifically ask for things to go that way, but we do have six days a year that we're, that we're closed for vacations or for holidays. Uh, and that actually stemmed from the first way that I, I did paid vacation was we were always closed from like two days before Christmas until after new year's. And it was like, cause I wanted to take that time off. And the mm -hmm. easiest way for me to be able to get to take the time off is just tell everybody else that they're paid and they get that time off too. And then I realized that like, that's really tough if we're like working on somebody's house doing a renovation. Like you might be able to shut a new job site down for that time for two weeks, but setting a reno down, shutting a reno down for that time is kind of tough. That's a hard sell for people. Uh, so yeah, we're people, closed. People notice when you're people, well, people notice when you're not there, right? <laughs> like they, they, they say they're okay with it, but two days that it's quiet in the middle of a renovation, they're like, uh, what's going on here, Jake? Yeah. But I would also say project planning goes a long way in that one though, too, because uh, like we have some clients that are like, oh, we're taking possession of this house 
uh, November 1st of this year. And I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll come start work after the first of the year. And they're like, well, but we get it November 1st. You don't want your kitchen being renovated during Thanksgiving and Christmas. No like doubt. we're not, we're not that stupid. We're not going to do that. We're not going to play that game. Uh, so flexible work weeks, a, a big one, I think for us, then, then the paid time off, the paid time off uh, seems to work really well. Uh, the calendar publishes at the beginning of the year, everybody knows what days we're off and it's a minimum of six. So if, so we do 4th of July and the day after, well, 4th of July and the day after fall Saturday, Sunday, then we'll take Memorial day and labor day. Now, and those are your paid. And we were already going to be closed on those days probably anyway, but you get those days paid. So I, I secure those six days that they know that they're going to get them. Uh, paid training is a huge one for us too. When we first started taking crew members to trainings and doing onsite stuff and having reps come by and talk to the entire crew instead of just the project manager or just to me, uh, I had another builder say like, man, you're educating these guys where they're going to be able to run their own business. They're going to leave you and run their own damn business. And I'm like, first of all, why wouldn't I want the best possible employees? Like, why wouldn't I want a company populated by people that could run their own business? Because that would be a huge asset for me. Second of all, I have like 10 people in my market that I work with on a regular basis that used to work for me. I'm okay with you becoming a subcontractor if it's still going to be a profitable relationship for us. Yeah, most of you I would rather still work for me. It stinks that you moved on. But at the same time, we have framers and a trim carpenter and a drywaller on site this week that all used to work for me. Hmm. I know I can trust them. I was leaving a project this morning before coming back to talk to you and uh, a carpenter that's only been with me for like six or eight months. He said, hey, is it okay if I... Uh, do I need to come back at the end of the day and lock up today? Because Jacob's going to be here doing trim. And I said, no, you're fine. I was like, just show Jacob where the key goes. And he was like, are you sure? And I was like, Jacob was uh, a project manager for me for a couple of years. And before that, he was a landscaper for me for like 10 years. Mm. The truck that you drive at work was originally purchased for Jacob to drive when he worked for me. It's fine. We trust Jacob. That's why he's here. We know his quality of work and we know... Uh, we know that we can trust him. Uh, and if he still worked for me, we'd be happy, you know? So that paid training, all that time we spent investing in him is still paying off for us at this point. Uh, I want, and, and to be honest, it's good team building too. We went to uh, another builder's job site as an entire company. Every person that works for your building went uh, last week. We drove three hours, went to another job site, helped install European windows so that we could show them how to do European windows. But we have an office in Kansas City and an office in Columbia. We're two hours from the office in Kansas City. And uh, it's hard for us to feel like one company sometimes. I see everybody, but we have employees in Kansas City that some of the guys in Columbia have never met. That one day of us playing on a job site together, trying to figure out how to do these windows and share with other people, it's a bonding thing for us, even though it was a training thing. And that team mentality goes a long way, in my opinion. Uh, let's see, what else? We do trucks and phones and tools. And that's all like, I, your HVAC guy, his guys have vans or trucks, right? Your plumber has vans and trucks. Why is it such a stretch to think that a construction on a company would own the vehicles that their guys use to haul tools every day. Uh, 
we decided a few years ago to go tool trailers on every job. And those tool trailers are completely outfitted with stuff that I own. So Aero Building owns the majority of the tools that are used on site every day. That allows me to say, this is the kind of tool that we're buying because I think it's going to work best. This is the battery platform that we're all going to operate on so that there's no, oh, well, I brought my DeWalt screw gun with me today, but I couldn't do that because I only had one battery and it wasn't charged. Uh, and then if you break it, it's my problem. Just use the tools the way they're supposed to be used. And it's a benefit to you. You don't have to carry, you know, $5,000 worth of tools in your truck that you have to unload every night because you still live in an apartment and you don't have a garage to park inside. I do have a basic hand tool list that I send to my crew members and say, this is what you should carry because I think you should own those tools anyway. Even if you're going to like leave the industry, it's a list of tools that you should probably own as an adult that might take care of things for themselves. Uh, but it, then we go, okay, well, if all the tools are on site and we have trailers, well, who's moving the trailer? Am I going to have to move every tool trailer to every job? I already don't have enough time to get everything done. Like I said, work seven days a week sometimes. Okay, well, then I have to have trucks for guys to move trailers. Well, I don't want you to call me and tell me that uh, you have a flat tire and you can't move the trailer I, or, you know, oh, the engine blew up. I'm going to need a ride to work for the next six weeks. How about I just take that off of our plate of things that you could that could go wrong and just know that you have a truck. Uh, and then I get to pick what it is, how many miles it has on it. I get to put stickers on it for advertising. Uh, we're very lax with them too. It's your truck. You can drive it for personal stuff. Uh, I just ask that you put gas in it every once in a while. If you're going to be the one, if you're putting personal miles on it, you know, we're, ins we insure it. Everything's taken care of. We look like professionals. It's a really simple equation for me. And the same thing with the phones. If I'm going to ask you to answer the phone every single time I call, I know data plans are all unlimited at this point anymore for, for most people. But I may need you to look something up on our, our, our you know, we use Builder Trend. I may need you to get on Builder Trend. I'm asking you to clock in and clock out on online. I have to provide you with that if I'm going to ask you to do it, or I have to reimburse you for it, in my opinion. I think if I'm asking you to use that tool, I have to provide you with it, or I have to compensate you to have that tool. And the phone and the truck and the, all those things. The last big one's retirement account, too. So... I want my employees to retire happy someday, same as I do. I, I don't look at this as, uh, I, I, I was on Instagram this morning and the audio clip I heard was, uh, work until you're dead and then stay a couple more hours because it's time and a half. And I was just like, ugh, I grew up in a business that was that way. And I fully understand that there are days that we need to work late. There are days that we need to get something finished, that if we stayed an extra hour, it saves three or four production days because we don't lose the plumber or whatever. You know, I get it. Not everything goes as planned. But I also tell people that we're we're not firemen. This is a job, same as your job. You don't get to call your mechanic at home. Why would you think that you can call the builder at home? Uh, so all those things line into well, we're we're a real business. We're we we function like a real business. I want you to be able to retire. I want you to feel like you work at a, at a real company. Uh, and uh, our industry falls real short on retirement dreams. Uh, and again, it's that tax-free money that I noted on earlier. Like if you get 4% from me tax-free, good for you. You should take it. You know, it's a bonus. So. Absolutely. Um, now, 
back to the i mean this is this is impressive and and something that a lot of people in the industry need to hear and then you know but i i'm just this small business owner why should i pay for someone's phone if everybody already has one i mean i get you you actually <laughs> laid out a pretty clear case um for this whole thing but 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 sure. should i pay am i are you like paying for their whole cell phone or just giving them some compensation so I, we're actually really flexible with stuff like this uh you know i've had a guy in the past that i gave a truck credit uh, because he had a couple accidents in his past and we couldn't get him insured under our insurance. So I gave him a credit and we put stickers on his truck. Uh, the same thing happens with phones. Uh, so my senior project manager, uh, he actually gets whatever hand me down. Every time I buy a new cell phone, he just takes my old one. That's like our standard agreement. Uh, and then my, one of my other project managers, he has a really good family plan. They get a discount. His wife's a teacher. Uh, and so I just pay part of their their bill. I pay his mm -hmm. part of their bill. And it's literally just like, it, if I am going to need to call you, text you, email you, I would, I need to provide you with the means to be able to communicate with you. And I think that while we all own a phone independently, uh, you know, we all have a cell phone at this point in history. Uh, although I think one of our um, concrete guys does not own a cell phone, which is it always throws me for a loop when I think about, oh, I have to call his house and leave a message with his wife and he'll call me back this evening. Uh, I don't want to have to do that. I want to be able to get a hold of you during the day. I'm asking you to use that tool for business. I should be paying for part of it. I like that attitude. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very progressive. I, because you do lean on your people a lot. You do call them. You're, you're, you're using their phones as a tool of your own. Basically, yeah. I will so, tell you, Michael, my uh, my dad was the first person I knew to get a cell phone. I was 16. So this is like late mid 90s. And I will never forget the very first day he brought it and stuck it in his T-shirt pocket. And we were cleaning mud tools next to each other. And I saw it fall out of his pocket into a bucket of water the day he bought it. <laughs> he went to the cellular store and they gave him a loaner because they were going to send that one off to get it fixed. And I know that like eight years later, I forced him to buy a different phone because he still had the loaner. They never got him his <laughs> cell phone back. And that was like the, I was like, oh, this is a tool for his business. He has to have a better, that was my first understanding of like, he makes phone calls all day, every day. We were doing some work for uh, some clients like three or four years ago. And I was like, did this did this room used to be a garage? And she was like, yeah, we had a, a guy finish it off for us uh, in the mid nineties. And I was like, how come this one opening has oak trim around it when everything else in the house is painted? She said, well, we didn't have cell phones back then. We got home and he was like, ta-da. <laughs> like, look at, I, I went ahead and made decisions for you and trimmed this out. And that's another like driving force for me to be like, I could never have an employee go, oh, well, I couldn't get a hold of somebody. So I just made the choice. That is a, that's an incredible challenge. And yeah, how, how cell service has changed our lives <laughs> and the ability to communicate and move faster. I mean, projects move so much faster now. It's incredible. Yeah. We're at lightning pace, sending each other pictures of our problems, so problem solving over the phone. It's incredible. Yep. It really is. I got more uh, than two this morning. A number of years ago, when I was running a, a sizable crew looked into 
just getting oh. healthcare. You know, I was like, you know, I'd love to be able to offer my guys something to make them want to stay besides decent pay. And, you know, I bring them lunch sometimes, you know, the basics. And thank you for working your butt off. I bought mediocre pizza. pizza from a gas station. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or well, Gatorades. I know it's 105 and we're roofing, but I brought Gatorade. So we're even. Look at me, guys. I brought a cooler of Gatorade. They're like, yeah, that's the minimum. We're yeah, dying exactly. up here. Um, so, but I looked into it and my, my insurer got back to me and the number was staggering to me. I was like, I would need a second job to give them basic healthcare benefits. You know, how can I afford workman's comp? And, and in a year when your crew's working a lot of hours, you know how your comp changed, you know, you get that, mm -hmm. um, you get that audit and you're like, Oh my God, you're paying yep. twice as much as you were last year. And, and then. Uh, but how do I pay that health insurance and someone else's retirement? Like, sure. You know, so my economy, my economy doesn't support it. Go ahead. So the health insurance thing, we've looked into that a couple of times because I think that that one is like the next extension from what we're already working on. Uh, it's a, it's a standard benefit in so many industries. Unfortunately, it is an economy of scale thing. Like you have to be dumping 60 employees into something to make that, you know, cost-wise easy to handle. Uh, I have, you know, we do handle things on a, a, a crew member to crew member basis from time to time as well. So we, uh, for a while, I had a young man that was working for me uh, and we paid instead of 401k, he, he received uh, a stipend for him to get on his wife's insurance which was only like 150 bucks a month to add him to his wife's insurance. That's not much money for him to be able to have health insurance, you know? Uh, so we do a little bit of thinking outside the box and just doing mm. what's right for each employee, but I've never figured out the health insurance one. That's, that's tough. Mm -hmm. uh, I had uh, the, uh, the conversation in that post that you were talking about on Instagram, where I said, run like a real company that stemmed from a conversation that I had with a builder friend of mine. He's like, well, we have two employees, but they're 1099 because we don't want to cover workman's comp. And I was like, all right, do they have workers comp for themselves? He's like, ah, oh, it's up to them. I'm like, okay, one of them lops their hand off on your job site. And it was 50-50, your fault, 50-50, their fault. Like, do you not feel a responsibility to make sure that they're going to be taken care of if this happens? I had uh, two brand new crew members that both had decades of experience but they'd never worked with each other. And like a weekend to work into it with each other, one of them cut the other one in the head with a circular saw, not something that I would have ever seen coming, but one of them had pinned the guard back on a saw and was making a horizontal cut to raise a header. And he dropped the saw down by his side on while he's standing on a six foot ladder. And he caught the other guy next to the ear and ran the saw up to the top of his head. I was the first person at the hospital like, I care about my employees. I went and visited him at the hospital every day. I talked with him and his wife. I helped them get through the process of getting workman's comp and, and working to get better. That, that kind of mentality, like you have to assume somebody's going to get hurt. I always say like, everything we do is dangerous. None of it has to be dangerous, but that doesn't mean it won't still be slightly dangerous. We're trying our best. 
but that's the reason that we have workers comp. I, I bill for it. And that, that friend, and the guy is a really close friend of mine. The idea that they don't carry workers comp for their employees, it drives me bonkers. And that's why I said real company. He knew I was talking about him. And that's why I knew he was going to see uh, it too. Uh, you were very passionate. <laughs> like I, I felt it. I was like, Oh, sorry, Jake. <laughs> but I mean, why would you not want them to be taken care of if they accidentally get hurt? Accidents happen. I'm know? with you. And that's why they're called accidents. And, and uh, I, when I was younger and running kind of willy nilly, you know, when you first start hiring people, you're not, they're not really hired. They're like buddies helping you out and you're yeah. paying them, paying them cash. And you're like, Oh, this is great. Look how much I'm getting done. And I was looking around one day and my friends who I was working for had friends helping us. And there was people on my extension ladders all over the, you know, moving yeah. stuff around, working on the outside of this house. And, and re and, and in my, the recent past where I live, there had been an accident where there was a liability issue and lots of lawsuits. That was my like, okay, I gotta, I gotta start covering people because something could happen. And, and now where I live, it's illegal to do the 1099 thing. People still try to pull it off, but, but I get audited once or twice a year for every bit, every penny that goes out by my insurance company. They want to know as much as I didn't like being regulated when I was younger, I, I think that we need to protect our workers. I mean, cause like you said, accidents will happen. So that's super important. Yeah. So I think, I think our, our biggest problem is number one, that idea of like ditch stickers don't deserve to make a living like that our, our parents' generation put forward. But number two, I think the biggest issue after that is being able to sell that, sell the value of your company to your clients. Because I've, I've had maybe three people my entire career tell me that we were charging too much or that we were too expensive. And two or one or two of those three were this other guy's cheaper not you're too expensive. This other guy is going to do it for less. So number one, if you say, well, this other company's cheaper, so I'm going to go with them. That means you don't value what we brought to the table. Either way, you probably weren't going to work with us. But if you educate your clients, like I tell my clients, this is what we charge. This is what our markup is. This is everything that gets covered in profit and overhead. We're licensed. We're insured. Uh, we carry general liability. All the vehicles are insured on site from us. Uh, all of our workers have workman's comp. This is what it looks like. Your project manager is not going to be here every other Friday, every other Monday, because he works four days a week. Like they real quick start to go, oh, they're, they got this taken care of. Mm. I'm going to be in good hands. They're a real company. Holy cow. And I think I can trust these guys. And the second you sell the value to the client, uh, Steve always says, uh, don't, don't tell me that that doesn't fly in my market. Is there a Mercedes dealer within 100 miles of you? Is there a, a BMW dealer? Somebody is paying more for something that they see value in if there's a Mercedes dealer close. Because a Hyundai will do the exact same thing as the Mercedes in a very slightly different way. And it's where you decide to put the value. And that value has been educated into people when they think that Mercedes is a better car than a Hyundai. So all you have to do is educate your clientele. Yeah, they do appreciate uh, that clear, direct communication about exactly what you are. You define yourself and, and, and a lot of people do want that extra value. But before I follow your lead into this, how do you know how much this is costing you per person? 
That like, is this a is, fantastic this is... question. So I have uh, a burden cost labor worksheet template in Excel that allows me to input everything from how many paychecks the employee is going to, you know, how many work weeks, how many hours they're going to work, how many hours they're going to be paid for that we can bill for, uh, paid vacation days, paid time off if we're doing it, Social Security, Medicare, everything, all the way down to if I have to make constant payments on a truck, this is what the insurance costs, this is what gas and oil, this is the maintenance, all those sorts of things. So I can very easily punch in, let's say our, uh, our labor rate, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do one live for you, Michael. Okay. Let's say our labor rate is, uh, we're going to pay somebody, not $45,000, $40 an hour. And they're going to work roughly 1,800 hours a year, but they're going to get paid for a full 52 uh, because we're going to have time in training. We're going to have time, uh, paid vacation, all that kind of stuff. And they're going to get truck, insurance, uh, 401k, cell phone, all the normal stuff. That employee's burden labor cost is going to cost me 120, 121,000 a year. Now let's say that we're going to work at $75 an hour and they're working 1800 hours a year. That's 135,000 minus 121. I'm only making 14, $15,000 off that employee that year off of just that aspect of their labor. The problem with that is it doesn't tell the full story because let's say that that $40 an hour employee is a project manager. Well, they're running two houses at once and those houses are both going to be million dollar houses. So we can figure that there's $250,000 worth of builder fee on top of that. So that employee just made me 500,000 plus their 14,000 on their labor. If we go and we say, well, it's a it's a carpenter. And I should note that like uh, we have one labor rate company-wide and it covers me down to the least experienced carpenter. And the reason that we have it just as one is because it evens out fair for the job in the long run. And it's just way easier to track just one. So let's use a $75 an hour labor rate. I think I said that already. Let's say this, this carpenter is making $20 an hour instead of 40, their burden cost is 72, but I'm still building that, you know, 75 times 1800, 135 minus 72,000. That's 63 grand that that employee just brought in. Now that employee is probably not supervising two, $2 million houses at the same time. So it tends to work out, but having this uh, cost calculator. Oh, I should note, I didn't tell you this. This came from seanmcadden.com. Sean is a, a speaker. I saw him once years ago at JLC Live. I don't even know if the website's still up. I don't know if he's, this was a freebie that he was giving away on his website. And I checked it against uh, all the numbers on paper and it was accurate. So you can go and download this if Sean still has it on his website. It's S-H-A-W-N-M-C-C-A-D-D-E-N. I forgot, I sh we should get that because I use it all the time. If I'm going to offer somebody a job, the first thing that, this, that happens is we go into this, you know. Uh, but that's a real easy, like, well, what does this guy cost you? What does this crew member cost? Can you tell me what your crew members cost? Uh, yeah, I could. I, I don't have employees right now. I, I, I'm, I'm in another phase, but I could. And the numbers you just, uh, used spoke to me cause I'm 75 was my, you know, cross the board rate. 
when I'm when I'm figuring time and and twenty bucks an hour is a great time, uh, number for a labor and forty is a great for a lead. So, so I was actually on my phone running some numbers, <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, and I guess I guess it all depends on the structure of how you're how you're billing, um, and the market you're in. Yeah. So I had somebody say, "Oh, well, my market won't support that. Like, I'm yeah. just doing trim work." Okay. Well, then charge more for your trim work, do more for your dollar and find a higher class of builder to work for. Find yeah. a bigger, more expensive house to work on and figure out how to make more money. How do you get now? Now, if we fast forward a little bit from this, I've got more overhead. Now I want to build high performance houses and high performance houses cost more to build. They just yep. do. I'm much more expensive than the other guy. And there's reputation in the marketing that goes into this, but how do you get the clients on board with this? With sure. Paymore? So uh, I would say that our sales process uh, involves pre-construction services. So we're going to work with the client and the architect to make sure that all the high performance details, uh, all the details in general, durability to uh, energy efficiency, whatever indoor air quality, all the things are included in the plans. And the clients are going to be provided at the end of that uh, pre-con before any construction starts, a proposal, but more importantly, a scope of work. And that scope of work for uh, take, I think the Hilltop house that you can find on Instagram, I think it's hashtag Hilltop Arrow, our Hilltop house. That had like a 25 or 30 page scope of work. I tell people I'm not more expensive than the other guy. I am the same price as the other guy. If you have a problem, take the plans and the scope of work and give them to somebody who's able to execute the same details that we're executing, they're going to be the same price. And I know it for a fact, because like three years ago, I bid a house, the house ended up not getting built, but I bid a house against two other competent builders in my market with my scope of work. And the three of us on a $1.4 million house, there was $30,000 between the high and the low. We're, we're using a lot of the same subs, we're buying materials at the same place, we're making roughly the same, we're charging roughly the same, we're gonna be the same price if we're actually doing the same work. So whenever somebody says, oh, that other guy's cheaper than you, there's two ways that that's possible. Number one, he's not doing the same thing we're doing. Or number two, he doesn't know what it's gonna cost and it won't be cheaper in the end. So that, that process has helped us immensely because Number one, I can control the details that go into the house and I know I'm going to be able to give the client a warranty that I know I can stand behind and I'm not putting myself at risk by building it. But number two, put it out to bid. We'll be the same price as somebody else that knows what they're doing. You know? Absolutely. And it's nice to be in a market where you can, where you can choose a little bit. But, but I agree when, when it comes down to it, when someone says, hey, this person's X amount cheaper, it's like, so much cheaper how can that be i'd say well hire them and it'll be what i said so i had the same thing it was another house that was roughly the same size as that one i was just talking about it was like a 1.3 million dollar house that i put a bid on and they're like well we want to check your numbers and i was like all right go that's fine with me and he, they came back to me and they said he's he's five hundred thousand dollars cheaper than you what should we do and i said he should build the house like if if your brain went, oh, Jake's making an extra $500,000 more than the other guy's going to make, and you actually believe that I was, I was adding $500,000 plus of fluff onto the bid, then he should be the one to build it. 
And I, he did build it and he did come in like 800,000 more than what I did. And I was like, ah, he's Boom. playing the game. He's playing the game. You know, he's going to lowball it. Uh, and I'm always going to lose to somebody that's going to lowball it. That's cost plus. I'm never, I'm never going to be the guy to try to lowball it because my job is to find new clients and to keep those clients happy. And if I find a new client, but then I lowball it, I already messed up because they're not going to be happy in the end. They're going to be like, damn, we paid twice what we thought we were going to pay. Yeah. And you hear a lot of those sob stories later. And, and you know, those guys who set the, they set the budgets, the budgeted items really low and people yeah. have no idea what's coming out of their own pocket in, yep. in the end. Or I have yeah, people that's... go, really, do we need to spend $800 on a, uh, a shower mixing valve and shower head? We don't have to. We don't. But when we go to the place that I know carries quality stuff here in Columbia to look, $800 is going to be enough that you get to pick from most of the things on the wall. I could tell you that it's $300. And when we get there, you're going to have two choices. So which would you rather do? Screw the budget up before we even start building or be under budget in the end of the build. Exactly. I'm trying to manage your expectations. I have no yes. problem telling you it's $300. Fine. It won't be because you won't like the three options that they carry. 100%. You know? People people don't, they underestimate their taste. Yeah. Like, oh. why, why would, at the beginning, before the project starts, I'm like, why would I spend <laughs> $700 on a toilet? I'm like, you're just wait. You, yeah. You, yeah. I, I had uh, clients the other day and we haven't worked with them long enough for me to have any informed opinion about who they are. They seem like really great, nice people. I'm looking forward to working with them. They sent a whole bunch of pictures with their homework for like the, the beginning of the design process. And we were meeting and talking a little bit briefly about their homework. And I said, I just want, I have to say, all the pictures you sent are amazing. And every picture you sent me is of a $10 million or more expensive home. <laughs> Just so we're clear, and our budget is less than a million, I need you to understand every single picture you sent me is a $10 million and up house. And they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah. we just have to be on the same page. If no, you want me to no. include that stuff, that's fine. But if it's going to be in the design, then it has to be in the budget. And right now it's not in the budget. Yeah, 100%. Last year, I was contacted about a house and someone said, so-and-so said they're going to do it for this much a square foot. And I said, that's impossible. Yep. And they were like, oh. you know, like I'm a, like, I'm some gouger. Yeah. I and, had the same thing. It's entirely and, I, in the last six months too. And I was just like, that's a hundred dollars a square foot less than what I can. I can't buy the materials for what he just told you. Exactly. Like, I can't buy the materials and get my plumber and electrician and mechanical guy to actually show up for that price. So it's not going to be that price. And then the architect who I have not worked with uh, said, well, um, we know that you don't like to compete on price. And I was like, I don't want to be rude. I'm not the one that sets the price. The design sets the price. My job is to tell you what the architect drew, what it's going to cost. That's it. I didn't decide that doorknobs were $16 a piece or $40 a piece. I looked at what doorknobs expect and went, oh, those are $83 a piece. And I need to include $83 a piece for the doorknob. I don't tell you anything about what the job costs. All I'm telling you is what the architect drew, what it's going to cost. And I think the architect was kind of pissed that I was just like, this is not my fault. 
I'm not the one that's setting price here. The build the builder's not setting the price. So that wasn't Steve we're talking about. It was not. Okay. Just just be <laughs> actually sure. <laughs> Steve is uh I you know, we work with other architects. I don't I don't mm -hmm. want you to think that Steve's our only architect. <laughs> we do enjoy working with Steve because Steve has absolutely no problem going. You don't have the money to do that. Yeah. That's not what we're doing. Steve knows what I charge. Steve knows what the rates are in our market. He knows bulk square footage numbers that he can apply to stuff. And we talk about it every time before the first meeting with the clients. And he can walk into that meeting and go, we're designing something that's under 2,400 square foot or you're raising the budget. I know it's not that cut and dry, but once you decide square footage, you've set 80 to 90% of the budget. So therefore, I'm your architect and I'm going to tell you this is where we have to stop if you want this to work. If you go more than that, we're, we can't do it. And I've never had another architect do that. In fact, uh, I have an architect that we don't work with anymore that's out of business and has moved to a different market. Uh, and he was a great individual and I liked working with him, but it was challenging. He gave me a set of plans for a renovation and addition one time. And I went to the job and I talked to the clients and I said, do you guys have a budget in mind for this? And they're like, no, not really. And I said, okay, well, looking at it just on paper, I'm thinking that we're probably north of 250, but we're probably not above 300. And they're like 300,000. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, we were thinking like 40,000. And I said, okay, we can certainly do some of the stuff on these set of plans for 40, but there's no way we can get, you know, half of this for that. And they're like, well, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, okay, we'll have to talk to the architect. And I called the architect and I said, did you talk? Why did you draw something that was so expensive? And he said, well, I just drew what they wanted. And I said, well, did you talk to them about what their budget was? Because that's part of the equation. And he said, no, I drew what they wanted. And I was like, the architect didn't ask what the budget was. Yeah, Are you that's, that's a common occurrence. Uh, you got to find an architect who who has talked to their clients about what they want. And, you know, going back to Steve for a second, I do appreciate that he's pretty hands-on and understands what something costs. Yeah. Because uh, I've been, I've been handed a lot of drawings that are out of people's budgets and the expectation that was given to them from the person who drew it could have been like, oh, this will be 200,000. And I get it. And I'm like, yeah. what? No, I this just, is six. Let's say four, yeah, or forfeit, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, so and, I always say, I don't need the architect to tell you how much something's going to be, but I do need the architect to say, yes, we can add a turret, but adding a turret is going to cost money and we need to talk to the builder about adding what it's going to cost. Not, ah, you know, if we do that, it's probably going to be like 50. Yeah. You're not the and builder. I, you don't know what it costs. Yeah, and, and though I sounded like I was complaining about architects, I love drawings. I yeah. want the draw I love having the drawings handed to me. So I'm I here. so I'm like, okay, I'll execute this and I won't get in trouble for space spatial issues later. Um, so what would your advice be to someone who's listening to this who is dealing who's gotten a call with the client, they've met with them, you know, house or remodel, and the person starts saying the other person's cheaper. Uh, I think you have to educate. So number one, I never talk poorly about another builder uh, ever. I, that's my like number one business. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a, a gentleman in my market that comes up on a regular basis 
And whenever somebody says, oh, we're also talking to, I go, oh, I know him. He's a good guy. And I leave it at that. I'm not here to sell you why I'm better than somebody else. I'm here to sell you why I'm good at what I do. It doesn't have to involve I'm better than contractor B to be contractor A. Uh, so that's number one. Uh, number two, I think that it's, it's all about your own value and, and understanding where your strengths lie so that you can, so you can explain them to somebody else. You, you have to know what you're good at and focus on what you're good at to be able to sell that value and to be able to convince people that it doesn't matter that somebody else is cheaper than you. What matters is that you know what you're doing and you can be trusted because you might be able to find it better at a shade tree mechanic, but you don't take your car to the shade tree mechanic. You take it to the dealership. You know, it, everything equates real easy to other industries. If you try to look outside of our industry, uh, because they're all just businesses. And I always just say, well, yeah, somebody might be cheaper, but they're probably not doing everything that's on the list uh, or they don't understand the scope of work. So as long as they have everything in the, in the scope of work and they're going to execute everything to the same quality as us, there's absolutely no reason for you to hire us. Yeah, and then the, the, the final thing I would say in, in all this is, is if the person is persistent in this walk away, yeah. If, if they're, if they're entire, well, so one of my questions is like, how are you going to measure if this project's successful? When, when we first start meeting with somebody before we even agree to work with them, if the only thing that they have to share at that point is we need to get this for less than this dollar amount, chances are they're probably not going to be our client because if they're only concerned with what something costs, that tells me that they're not concerned with the quality. They're not concerned with the process. They're not concerned with anything except for the dollar figure. And we bring a lot more to the table than the dollar figure. That doesn't mean that we're just expensive for the reasons of being expensive. We bring a lot more to the table than the dollar figure. And if you can't see that, you it's probably not worth your time to pay for us to do the work. Hey, Jake, how did you get into the trades? I got... Uh, kicked out of Boy Scout summer camp when I was 12 years old for smoking cigarettes. And my dad drove an hour north uh, of Columbia to pick me up from a Boy Scout summer camp. And like the door to the truck closed and it was like midnight. And he said, guess who doesn't get the rest of their summers? And I was just like, oh crap. And he got me up the next morning and I went to work with him and um, I immediately got exposed to filthy jokes and uh immediately got exposed to what i think of as like the brotherhood of being part of the crew uh the very first day i was helping uh if you're around me very much you'll hear me talk about jim bass jim bass was a, an impactful character in my uh, uh upbringing he worked for my dad he worked with my dad for a really long time and he was filthy he had that classic construction worker sense of humor where he came to joke. He came to work every day with a new joke. We were carrying uh, OSB across the roof on the backside of this house. And we set the piece down and, you know, I'm, I'm 12. I'm not very tall. And he goes, Jake, come here. There's a hot chick getting out of the car at the street. And I like clambered up to the top of the, the peak of the roof. And I went, Jim, that's my mom. And he goes, I know, right? 
And that like, this is my first day and I'm 12 years old. It felt like I was being treated as an adult. You know what I mean? Like I immediately felt welcome on the crew mm. and uh, that sort of like brotherhood thing. You don't get that anywhere else when you're 12, you know, you have friends, but you don't have that camaraderie. You don't feel like an insider that way. Or I didn't at least. Uh, and I stuck with it. I worked for my dad through high school. I, uh, I quit working for him in college for a while and, and ran a second shift at a lumberyard. We worked noon to eight while I went to college. I was able to go to school in the morning and then work noon to eight, five days a week. And then Saturdays at the lumberyard. And that was really great because I really understood there was a lot more materials out there than what my dad's company liked to use. Mm -hmm. And we stuck with, uh, and then I made a living as a, uh, an artist after college for a little while. And my parents convinced me to come back for, for one job and then said, we're retiring during nice. that job. And I was like, ah, yeah. ha, ha, I see what happened. They baited so, you in. Yeah. So, so you got into the trades, it was punishment and then you returned baited. Yeah. Yeah. And here you are. Exactly. Funny. I didn't think it was going to be for me either. Uh, and then I owned the company for years before I took my bags off. I'm mostly bags off now. I told, told somebody yesterday, I like wear my bags one day a month now. And it's yeah. like, I try to do it when there's a crappy day. Like, oh, it's going to suck to be there today. I'm going to try to go and help. Or, oh man, I know we're behind. I'll go take care of the crappy thing on the list to make sure that they know that I still care and I understand what they do. But it's tough. I spend a lot of time right here sitting in the office now that's getting fat and lazy. Yeah, I, I can relate to that big time. You, and you, and you, you lose your edge in your trade yeah. too. Uh, what was the art? You said you're an artist for a while. What was that all about? Uh, I was a photographer. I, I made okay. a living selling photography artwork. Cool. Why do skilled trades matter? Um, that's an easy one, right? Like it, it takes talent to be able to do what we're going to do. It takes an education. Uh, and if you uh, think that your kids are going to have someplace to grow up and live in a new house someplace, uh, the housing stock has to keep up with how many people and the population growth. Uh, and I think that the biggest message that we can give to the next generation is the reward of, of what we do for a living. Because I have one of the most rewarding jobs I can think of. Like, I get it. You're a doctor and you save babies for a living. Woohoo. I built the house today. And that house is there because of our crew and what we did and our process. And I think that's pretty dang cool. What do you value most? I am trying to make sure that, that the answer to that question is always going to be family. I know my wife would go, you get frustrated with the kids. How could you say that or whatever? Uh, I, I have... Uh, those moments when my heart aches for someone else, it's almost always my children. Those moments when my heart is like completely filled with joy, it's almost always my children. So did have a good shot on the golf course yesterday that was pretty joyful, but I think the kids trump that, that great <laughs> shot. Who's your mentor? I, uh, that same Boy Scout group growing up, I had a very strong mentor. Uh, Greg taught me a lot about... Um, everything under the sun. He was, uh, he was our scout master, but he was also uh, assistant to the state's attorney general. And then he taught uh, at the college level. He, he taught law at the college level. And so he was an incredible educator. Everything that he said had a lesson in it. Everything that he said had humor in it. 
Uh, and I try to apply that to how I operate. Like I want to have meaningful conversations with people. Uh, and, and that's a big deal. And that's, that's the group of guys that I'm friends with now that I've met through Instagram. They're all people that I've had humorous, meaningful conversations with, uh, you know, or Steve, Steve and Peter that I co-host the podcast with. I've had really deep conversations with those guys. I know you couldn't tell it by looking at Steve, but he does have a sensitive side uh, that are all based in humor too. You know, I need somebody that can tell me about the struggle that they had with their kid, but also laugh when I walk into the bathroom and they're at the urinal, I walk up next to them and go, Hey, nice watch. And everybody else in the room kind of like turns an eye to see what the hell's going on. And I get Steve or Peter standing next to me going, Oh, thanks. Without skipping a beat. That's what I need. Okay. Let's get into the speed round. Best joke. Speaking of jokes. Um, what did one snowman say to the other snowman? Do you smell carrots? Actually, I'm giving you one more too, because my 15 year old called me on the way to the school bus the other morning and said, um, what do you call a girl with no arms and no legs on a swing set? Susie. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not Susie. <laughs> and I was just like, man. And I said, are you walking to the school bus right now? And he was like, yeah, somebody told me that and I knew you'd like it. I'll talk to you later. And then hung up the phone. And I was just like, I'm, I'm raising that child either completely correctly or completely wrong. And I can't tell which is which. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm going to guess your favorite tool, and then I'm going to ask you yours. I'm going to guess it's your iPad. It is my blower door. Oh. It is. Uh, All right. It tells that the makes truth. Sense. It tells the truth. Yeah, I floundered on that one. I, I should have guessed that. <laughs> um, what is your most useful tool? It's the iPad. Actually, I'm going to take that back. It's, it's this, it's my cell phone. I cannot function without that thing. And I don't mean from a, like my social media, I have to pay attention to it. I mean, I, my company can't run without me having access to it. Where, what is your, where have you been all my life tool? Oh, uh, I, for the longest time, I probably would have said jiggly saw, uh, an oscillating multi-tool. We call it the jiggly saw because we have uh -huh. a sense of humor. Uh, I think uh, an accurate square uh, is one of those things that like, I didn't realize that how difficult my life had been because of the inaccuracy of my marking tools for a long time. Mm. Uh, the multi-tool was definitely, it definitely has a place in my heart. Yeah. I also, it's the easiest one for me to go stop using that on two by fours. We don't use it for two by fours. That's not what it's made for. <laughs> It's also the, the quickest one to frustrate me. Yeah, I, I got a, I had a laborer who just, it seemed like anytime a client came in the room, he turned it on <laughs> and I'd be like. <laughs> and it's <Don't> smoky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one's got the, the clients don't have or hearing protection on. So, okay. Um, best job site snacks. Um, I would actually say I'm not a job site snacker. I would rather go and have a nice lunch. I don't mean like sit down lunch or anything. I would rather go and have something that I enjoy for lunch and take a few minutes longer than have snacks around all day. Mm -hmm. Best job site jams. 
That's a tough one. I have AirPods now. And so I keep them in for noise cancellation when I'm mm. actually on the site uh, and I'm using tools. Uh, anybody that knows me well, I am a hip hop fanatic mm. and uh, I, that's a tough one to play on lots of job sites because of the language uh, that could be, could be there. Uh, I do have a playlist on Spotify that is like every hip hop album that came out in the year 1993 that's worth listening to and it, oh nice you can, you can play that for two days and not hear the same song there's a a lot of good hip hop uh that year yeah late 80s early 90s were were the golden the golden era of hip hop for sure um, don't sleep on today's stuff though there's some really good stuff coming out so and i got my 15 year old into it now the other day, a, a new album came out and I was listening to it and I got a text message from him that was, hey, this album came out today. Have you listened to it yet? What What was it? Uh, it was Kendrick Lamar's new album. Okay. Yeah, I like Kendrick. Uh, anyone you want to give a shout out to today? I think we should just uh, try to support our fellow gardeners. I'm going to say that. Just support the people that you work with every day and make sure that they know that you're there to help them with something if they need it. Cause I feel like our industry is this big, tough guys industry where people are like, ah, no, I've figured out he'll get there. And it's like, yeah, if you stop and help, it'll go better. So my shout yeah. out is to help, help other people. Okay. Jake, thanks so much for being here. Um, do you think, do you think that everyone out there should leave us a review today? <laughs> yes. Five-star review. If you have anything else to say other than a five-star re review, keep it to yourself. I like it. Um, well, thanks so much for taking time out to, to talk to me. Uh, this is going to be a you, great Michael. pod. Yeah. And uh, if you guys want to keep up with Jake, check out. Uh, you can see him on the Build Show and listen to him on the Unbuild the Podcast. And you can check him out on Instagram at Arrow Building. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. Hey, today's shout out and kind of podcast dedication goes to Bradley Scott of New River Contracting out of Fayetteville, West Virginia. We've been talking about providing health care for workers. It's been a great conversation, and I had a great talk with you on the phone, Brad. And you can check out New River Contracting on Instagram, as well as Brad himself, the Wayne. Hey, if you found value in the content of the show or some sense of affirmation for what you're doing, please consider writing review on iTunes rating me on Spotify, or sharing the pod directly to social media from your phone. And remember, the work we do each day, the stuff we make and leave behind, it's our legacy. So create a legacy that matters. All right, that's all I got. Later. Later.